Hey everybody, you're listening to the Poema Church Podcast. Today we're sharing a message from our latest series. We believe the Word of God in Scripture is powerful and has real-life application to our lives today. We hope this message encourages you. Get connected and learn more about us by visiting our website, poemachurch.ca. I used to sing that song as a teenager, just bawling my eyes out, begging God to wash me. My conscience like, held, was heavy on me in my teenage years, and he's been so good to clean me, make me whole, yes. and he's still doing it. Yes. So today, as we we go into the word. I just want you to open your hearts to hear what God has to say to you. So happy to be with you today. You have no idea probably who I am, uh, but my name's Sherry, and I'm part of um, the sister church that we have in Hamilton, Poema. And um, Pastor Matt asked me to come and share with you today a word. And so I just want to invite you guys to sit down if you want, and uh, we're just going to move into that. Thank you guys so much for your hearts and your gifts and your love. Thanks, Colleen. My husband, Nathan, wanted to be here so badly, but he is um, running something in Hamilton today. Uh, He and I are part of the elder team in Hamilton, and uh, we've got three crazy kids, uh, nine-year-old, seven-year-old, and an almost two-year-old, and I wish I actually had a picture for you because they're so funny, Um, but they all would have loved to be with you today, and they send their love, and Pastor Matt and Rach send their love to you today, too. So if you have not been here before, welcome. We're so happy to have you. Um, I don't know who's new and who's not. I don't get to come very often. Um, My husband and I are fully integrated into the church life in Hamilton, so it's really tough to come down often, but we love you. We pray for you. We think about you all the time, and we're so happy that we're connected to you guys. It's it's been awesome. Got some of my Hamilton fam here helping to lead worship today. I'm so glad they're here too. Um, All right, so this morning... The title for the message I have is, I am who I am. And uh, I'm going to start by reading the word, and then we'll hop right into it. So we're starting in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 29 from the English Standard Version. It says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, oh, I forgot to let the kids go. Sorry, guys, if there are any kids in here, you guys can head on out to the kids' church room, okay? Um, I'll start that again. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is consuming fire. I know we prayed already, but I love to pray before we we go right into the message. I'm just going to do that real quick. God, we love you. We love your word. It is what we bow to, the truth, and we thank you for it. And we thank you 
even more for the Holy Spirit that lights it up to us and makes it real. So we ask you to come to do that in our hearts and in our lives. Um, yeah, God, and thank you for the beautiful fall weather. It is gorgeous. Amen. Amen. Okay, speaking of fall, uh, who loves a campfire? Oh, okay, got a few friends. All right. Uh, there's just something about a campfire. For my kids, it's all about the s'mores. Um, for some people, you just might like the flicker of the firelight, you know, in the moon. And the smell, although getting it out of your clothes afterwards is something else. Um, maybe it's watching things burn up in the fire. It's mesmerizing to watch it. Um, and I love a good campfire, just like the rest of you guys, but at this point in my life, it is incredibly stressful to attend a campfire because, as I mentioned before, I have a rocking almost two-year-old, and he uh, performs death-defying acts daily. If I would have brought him today, I came home and the babysitter was there yesterday, and he has, like, a Rudolph nose and, like, cut-up lip because he, like, just jumped off of a giant rock and planted into the concrete. He has no fear, literally. So it's pretty funny when I'm at a campfire, I'm trying to have some intense conversation with somebody, and all of a sudden I'm like, Sully, oh my God, where, where's the baby? Because he'll run, just run next to the campfire and trip and fall. And so it's um, like, you don't want to talk to me in a campfire. It's awkward. You feel like I'm not present because I'm not. Um, and my husband, it's funny, he's actually been the first person to teach our kids about fire and hot and um, Solly, it's short for Solomon, uh, he, he even sees a fire in a book now and he's like, hot, hot. And um, this, there's a specific reason though, because my husband and his family experienced trauma through fire. So um, his t younger teenage brother, um, there was this thing going around, I think it probably would have been the early 2000s, where kids were throwing WD-40 cans into fires just to watch it explode. Oh, I got some head nods here, Jay. <laughs> okay. Um, and so he and his buddies did this. His name was Ian. And so they threw the WD-40 can in the fire. They're in the middle of, like, you know, the back 40, because that's where my husband grew up. And um, they all like took cover. They waited and waited and waited. Nothing happened. They're like, oh, the can must have been empty. You know, so they walk over, they check it out, they poke the fire, nothing happens. So they turn to go and Ian hears a hissing sound and he turns to look and literally a fireball exploded out the bottom of the can and went past his face and burned part of his face off. Um, it was Tra traumatizing. There were months in the burn unit. Um, my husband still, like, we had to go into the hospital where he um, went there for his brother and just, it triggered a whole bunch of things for him. It was months they had to, it, oh, it's horrible. Just the painful process of healing from that kind of a burn, uh, it marked their family for life. And so we all know, maybe not by personal experience, but we know that fire can be devastating. And so it's a bit uncomfortable, I think, when the writer of Hebrews describes our God as being fire. And that's the kind of stuff that would keep me up at night as a kid. I told you I spent my teen years uh, crying on my face, asking God to wash me and clean me. I was terrified of him. I didn't know who God truly was, the whole picture of God. So... Um, 
let's get a little bit of a more of a picture of what's going on in Hebrews 12 here and see what this writer is trying to communicate to us. So in Hebrews 12, 18 to 24, the writer is talking about the kind of relationship that we have with God. And he says, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. I do have to take a little sidebar. It wasn't in my notes, but I really have to share it because of what God's been doing this morning. That last part about the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, Abel, he was killed by his brother. And it says in the word of God that in a poetic way that his blood cried out from the ground for vengeance, for justice. But Jesus' blood, sprinkled, cries out forgiveness. Powerful. Powerful. This is our God, guys. Okay, so at the start of the verses that we just read, you hear fire, smoke, all kinds of things going on. People are terrified. And maybe some of you might be thinking the same thing that I thought long ago. Wait a second. I thought God was love. Ugh. I thought he was forgiveness. I thought he was mercy. Like, do I have to be terrified here? But thank goodness, scripture will help us understand scripture. That's how it works. The word of God is masterful. As you read it, it helps you understand itself. It's really cool. So this is what this reference is all about. We're going to start by going through. You can put it in your notes or look it up in your Bible if you want. Exodus chapter 3 through to 19. We're not going to read all of it, but I'm going to summarize some of the key points for you um, just to help you get into the story of the background of what Hebrews is talking about. So Moses, the story picks up with Moses. He's a former prince of Egypt, and now he's a shepherd. And he's watching his sheep, and he's walking along, and he sees a bush burning, but it's not burning up. And he's like, whoa, that's weird. I've never seen that. So he like, walks over and takes notice. And God notices that he takes notice. And he calls out to him out of the fire. And he says, hey, Moses, take off your shoes. Show some respect. You're standing on holy ground. This is God's space. And when I was going through my notes with my son last night, my nine-year-old, he was like, mom, you got to tell them the ground was holy because God was there. I'm like, okay. Got it. He's like, did I help you 10% of your message? I'm like, yeah, you did, buddy. <laughs> it's so funny. So the ground is holy, not because the ground is special, but because God is present there. And then we need to understand, though, what this idea of holiness is. So I grew up thinking that holiness was being morally perfect. 
Now, God is morally perfect. That is true, but it is so much more than that. Holiness is to be other than, to be separate from, to be indefinable. Now, God, to Moses, gives himself a name, and he says, I am who I am. I am who I am. And if you directly translate that, it's actually, I myself am he, the God who is. Yeah, I know. What a cool name. This is God saying to us that he is self-existent, that he depends on nothing to exist. He needs no fuel for his fire. He just is fire. And it burns and burns and burns with no help from anyone or anything. That's something that I can't even wrap my brain around. (laughs) Uh, And that's what holy is. It's just outside of my grasp. It's just not like me, not like the way I think, not like the way I live. And um, God just is who he is. So God, this holy God, goes ahead and tells Moses, I'm going to send you on a mission. You're going to go and you're going to um, set my people free from Egypt. They've been slaves there for generations, and I'm going to go with you, and this is my name that I want you to give them. I am who I am. So God does it. He sets them free from Egypt. He brings them through crazy supernatural experiences to make that happen. Most of you might know the story But I want to focus for a second on the Red Sea. So the Red Sea, these walls of the ocean open up and they walk through the center of them on dry ground. And I keep trying to put myself in the story, but there's no reference for it because it's so insane what happened to them. These people actually experienced this. Walls of water on either side walking through. They were literally, it was a picture of baptism. They were walking through death into life. That's what was happening. So I would have been freaked out at that point already. But then they get to this mountain that God brings them to, which happens to be the very same mountain that God met Moses on personally, which is cool. And it gets lost a little bit because it has two names. It has Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai, but they're the same thing. So God brings these people, a whole community, to this mountain And it goes from being an individual experience to all of a sudden a community experience of God. But God tells them, he's like, I want you to set up a perimeter around this mountain because I'm going to come down. And if any of you even step foot on this mountain, because you are not holy, you will die. So they're all like, okay, sure, here's the perimeter. We're going to stay back from it. And then God shows up with a fire tornado at the top of this mountain. There's lightning and thunder. There's an earthquake. And it even says that there are trumpet blasts that get louder and louder and louder, crescendoing to the point that they hear God's voice, thunder, giving them commandments. I just, this is a real story. (laughs) Can you imagine standing 100 feet away from a fire tornado on the top of a mountain, <laughs> like, like in the middle of a lightning storm. My kids went into like a fake tornado experience and they were like, their hair was like going crazy. Their like faces are being, they, these people experienced that. And this is their first 
personal experience with God. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is talking to. This is the background for that story. So the first commandment that God gives them, he says, I am the Lord your God. You will have no idols, no other gods before me. Now, years later, when they're about to go into the promised land after 40 years of walking through the desert and the wilderness, Moses reminds them of this event. In Deuteronomy 4, 23 and 24, he says, Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Does that sound familiar? For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Now this is where the author of Hebrews pulled out that original quote about God being a consuming fire. And as you learn to read the Bible more and more, you'll find juicy little tidbits in the New Testament that lead you back to the stories in the Old Testament where you can get the full meaning of what is being conveyed. So what is, why is Moses warning them about this? Now, after the amazing experience that they had going through the Red Sea, seeing God come down on the mountain, and no one getting hurt, not a single person getting hurt in the middle of all of that, the people started to get nervous because Moses went up the mountain when God called him and got enveloped in smoke. They couldn't see him. It's been 40 days. They're like, did God eat him? Like, where's Moses? Is he ever coming back? What are we supposed to do now? So they ask Aaron, Moses' brother, their priest, to make an idol for them. And they, they forge all of their gold and their precious things that they got out of Egypt into a golden calf. And they called it God. And so Moses is warning them and reminding them of this event in their history that right after they had had this experience with God, that they made an idol that they could be safe around, that they could control, that they would want to lead them where they would want to go, but they called it God. And this is the idolatry. This is the have no other gods before me that God was talking about. And, you know, maybe these Old Testament stories make us uncomfortable and we might want to skip over them. It's a lot easier to hang out in the New Testament. I, I do believe that that's why the writers on the New Testament put all of these little tidbits so we wouldn't forget the whole picture. But it is uncomfortable to worship a God you can't control, if we're honest. It's uncomfortable, but it's not bad. It's just uncomfortable. But if you want to know one thing about God's holiness, I read this amazing book called Holier Than Thou by Jackie Hill Perry. And she says this, if God is holy, then he can't sin. If God can't sin, he can't sin against me. And if he can't sin against me, then shouldn't that make him the most trustworthy being in the entire universe? Think about that. This fire, this holiness, 
it actually can't be used in sin against me. So if all that is true, and God really is holy, and he can't sin against me, and he's always going to be good and loving and just and holy, and I can trust him, then he really does deserve every bit of worship that I have. Everything. Eating, sleeping, drinking, working, relaxing, free time, work time, thoughts, heart, motives, all of it. He deserves it all. So what does it take to encounter him? It takes seeing him, noticing that he is actually at work in our everyday lives, and it takes coming closer to him, taking off our shoes, showing respect, because real worshipers, Jesus said, bring worship in spirit and in truth that is acceptable, that is reverent to God. It honors him. And that's not just talking about our songs. It's talking about our whole lives. When we come in here on a Sunday morning and we lift our holy hands to God, that holy, those holy hands are directly connected to how we've lived our lives through the week. And God does not just require holy hands lifted on Sundays. He requires holy hands all through the week. You know, some of us read the truth of the word of God like I did when I was a kid without the spirit to bring to the words to life to me. And it becomes a bunch of have-tos so that we just don't get crushed or we're afraid that God will smite us at some point. And we don't really know what to expect. But other people like to focus just on the spirit of God. They love the encounter. They love the worship experience. They love to sing their songs and lift their voices but they never let the Spirit wash their everyday lives with the water of the Word of God. We need both the Spirit and the truth to truly worship God. From my experience, the truth alone is lifeless, it's suffocating, and it's fearful. But the Spirit only, without the truth, has no anchor, and there's no way to understand the God that we say we worship. And either approach, either just truth or just spirit, they're both golden calf worship. They're both creating a God of our own making, and they're calling it the one true God. So if God is a consuming fire and he is holy, he's the same God in the Old Testament of the Bible as he is in the New Testament, and he's still loving and slow to get angry, but he still consumes. What does he consume? He consumes the things that don't last, the things that aren't like him, the unholy things, the common things, the things that are going to pass away. And so he actually burns up what kills us. That's the point. And every idol that we worship is based on a specific belief that we have about God. And these are a few examples. Maybe you're going through hell right now. God doesn't really love me because of what I'm going through. This is my son Teo's one. We talked about this last night. He said, God never answers me. He's not really there. 
That's a lie that God was showing him he believed. This is taking too long. He's never going to come through, so I can't trust him. And there's this one. It's okay if I keep doing this. God's love, he'll forgive me anyways. Big deal in the long run. And these idols, they hide themselves in the way that we live our lives, but they're always deeply rooted in what we believe. And they stand between us and God. So we desperately need the Spirit of God to bring the dead places in us to life, to light up the Word of God. And we need that Word of God to keep us walking on a straight road and not going all over the place. And it's teaching the whole Word of God that keeps people from getting burned. Because <laughs> if we only talk about the love of God and we never talk about His holiness, we're actually doing a major disservice to people who don't know about God. It would be like letting me, me letting Solly, my baby, run around the campfire and just, whatever. You'll learn. We have a responsibility to teach people, to learn the whole word of God, to teach people the whole word of God. The writer of the, of the story in Hebrews I love that he didn't censor the Old Testament, but he also didn't stop there. That picture that he showed of the relationship of God that we actually get to come to, that heavenly picture of the angels gathered, the firstborn of salvation, that's us, coming, a picture of heaven on earth when we all gather together, that's the beauty of God. That's what he's calling us into. And it leads me, I just, I, I got to read this last part from Hebrews 12, 22 and 29. It says, so don't turn a deaf ear to the gracious words. If those who ignored earthly warnings didn't get away with it, what happens to us if we turn our backs on heavenly warnings? His voice that time shook the earth to its foundations. This time he's told us quite plain. Quite plainly, he'll also rock the heavens. One last shaking from top to bottom, stem to stern. The phrase one last shaking means a thorough house cleaning, getting rid of all the historical and religious junk so that the unshakable essentials stand clear and uncluttered. Do you see what we've got? An unshakable kingdom. And do you see how thankful we must be? Not only thankful, but brimming with worship deeply reverent before God, for God is not an indifferent bystander. He's actively cleaning house, torching all that needs to burn, and he won't clean, acquit until it's all cleansed. God himself is fire. Gotta love the message version. It just says it so well. You know, the whole point of the book of Hebrews was to talk about how Jesus was better than everything that came before him everything. Better than Moses, better than Abraham, better than the angels, better than the law. He was better than. And the idea was that if he was so much better than, how much more should we pay attention to worshiping the one true God and not getting caught up with our own idols? That's the idea. Jesus is so much better than so much better than, than that. And so I get to stand 
in front of the fire of the holiness of God and let its glow heat myself, reflect on my face, and burn up every unholy thing in my life. And that's the crazy thing about God, is that it's, it, it teaches in the Bible that what we're looking at, what we focus on, is what we'll become. So if I stand there, and there's my lie or my idol that I believe, maybe it's my pain, maybe it's my identity, maybe it's my idea about God that blocks me from the fire, I need to come close to the fire and let it burn and look at the beauty of God, who he really is, and I will actually get to be transformed to be like him. And so, you know, when we respect the fire for what it is, we stand close enough to have all of that happen, but it doesn't consume us. It only consumes what will kill us. And, you know, in our world today, the fire that powers everything, the spark of our um, cars that actually makes it run, or the little flame, the blue flame burning inside of my furnace that heats my whole house, it's all locked up and closed behind closed doors. So I don't really see that rawness and that power and that force. But I have to tell you guys that there is no compartment or box that the holiness of God can be contained in. This is a reality that we, need, we get to accept about God. There's no containing this. If we really want to follow him, if we really want to live for him, we got to realize that he's the fire that he really is. And so today, I just want to pray for you guys in closing. I am sitting with my son last night and reading through these notes with him. You know, he's nine. He's so blunt. He just, there's no hiding with him. And his little, not a little lie, his, the lie that he was believing that God doesn't hear him and doesn't answer his prayers, so he's not really there. You know, it made me think that there's lies that I believe. There's lies that we all believe about God. Because if we were fully worshiping God, we would be on fire. <laughs> you know what I mean? Walking fire of God. And it would make an impact in our world. And so I wanted to give us all an opportunity today to see one lie that we maybe might be believing about God. And uh, Dave, if you want to come up, I'd love to have you. Our, uh, our imaginations are a powerful tool that God has given us. He's gifted them to us to speak to us. And um, so as Dave just plays some music, I just want you to close your eyes and just imagine being at a campfire. And God's there. He's speaking to you out of the fire. And I just want you to see what, what's standing in between you and the fire today. What's the lie that you might be believing about God? God, we don't want to leave here the same today. It's not the point just to come and do our thing here. The point's to meet with you, be with you. You brought the people out of Egypt because... You wanted them to worship you. 
And so God, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would show us today one thing, one thing. And God, for anyone who's willing, I pray, God, that we would stand close to your fire, that you would show us the truth of who you are, and that we would watch it burn today, God. One minute it's there, and the next it's gone. God, you're a good God. You always trade us beauty for ashes, strength for fear. God, so we want to ask you today what you have for us. God, Moses' face glowed with your presence after he met with you. God, and we just ask, Lord, that you would light the fire deep with inside of us, God, that would never burn out. If there's anyone here, Jesus, that does not know you today, and they want to know you, God, I just want to give you guys an opportunity. If that's you, you want to raise your hand, and we'll pray for you, pray with you. But God, we, we want to honor you for who you are, your fire, and your love. You're the whole deal. And we thank you right now that you are holy and you can't sin against us. So God, in the places where we may have felt that we have been sinned against by you, God, I pray that there would be an honesty that comes into the hearts in this room into the hearts of your church at large, God. We let out the poison of the lies that we've been believing about you, the misunderstandings that we have about you, God. God, because what is hidden cannot be forgiven. What's hidden can't be healed. God, we as a church, we want to come close to your fire. And we want to worship you with everything we have. God, forgive us for making gods and calling it you. For dancing around things and fooling ourselves into believing that we're worshiping the one true God. God, we love you and we thank you for who you are. I bless your church. I bless everything that you've done in their hearts today, God. Every seed that's fallen of truth on, on their hearts, God, that you would work it like a good, the good farmer that you are, God. And that you continue to make us more like you, Jesus. We love you, God. In your name we pray. Thanks for listening. To hear more, subscribe to this podcast and connect with us on our website, poemachurch.ca.